0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and join me on the pod this week are Rob Daracott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, our daily news service, and Neil Trainers, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Now, we're recording this on Thursday, the 23rd of June. We're not sure yet uh, when the podcast will be released as we're all at Training Matters Recognition of Excellence Awards on Friday. So hopefully we won't be overtaken by events, but there's still tons to talk about. So let's start, as usual, with Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, let's start with you then.
1: Uh, Good Week or Bad Week? Hello, Richard. I have a boots melange this week, I would say one thing is, I would say, indisputably a good week, and then the other, there seems to be a lively debate around. Uh, The first thing uh, is that it's a good week for newly qualified pharmacists starting at Boots. Uh, Boots and the PDA union announced yesterday they had come to an agreement on uh, revised pay scales for for newly qualified pharmacists. Um, The the base pay rate is rising uh, just over 11%. From thirty-seven thousand seven hundred and fifty two to, to forty-two thousand, uh, uh, annual salary full full time equivalent. Um, so it's a uh, you know significant increase. Uh, Boots said it's committed to providing long term fulfilling and enriching careers for pharmacists with the opportunity to develop and progress over time. Um, along with the newly qualified rate announcement, it was announced that any pharmacists in the, the PDA's bargaining unit at Boots. Uh, who is currently paid less than forty three thousand pounds is going to have their salary increased to that amount. So, um, so that'll be be welcome news to those pharmacists there. And um, I have to say, for, for it 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 is striking the gains that have been made on the newly qualified rates since um, since the union recognition happened in in twenty eighteen. Uh, there's been uh, twenty three and a half percent increase in starting rates since then, compared to uh, if you look at the the ten years prior to that, just a, just a three three percent increase. So, um, uh, PDA, uh, I think if probably there's n- negotiations are, are tricky. And I'm sure there's always stumbling blocks, but I think on this issue of, of, of newly qualified rates, they seem to be to be making gains for their members, and and they're still, um, I think talks, uh start again in august ahead of the november 2022 pay review which is going to affect all pharmacists in in, in the bargaining unit so that is um uh that is uh, pay rated at boots also in the news i've said this is something that i i, I don't know too much about but it's this is gained uh, national media attention is Boots has been contacting um uh seems to be a lot of patients over the past few months who are currently on uh on dosset boxes who are currently getting medicines in, in, in dosset boxes prepared by Boots pharmacists and Boots is contacting these patients, telling them that, that uh, is it is no longer going to provide this service. Um, I understand it's not every patient who, who gets a dosset box from Boots, but, but it seems, seems to be a lot of them and, um, patients or patient representatives or carers and so on have contacted the BBC, um, about their, their concerns. Um, I mean, it seems this is something it seems to be something that a lot of pharmacists feel very strongly about that that the onus should be on better training within care homes to um, to ensure they can that, that that medicines can be dispensed safely and effectively in the care home rather than putting the pressure on on community pharmacy teams and there's concerns that you know that that error rates can be higher, or, 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 or patient safety can be a factor when when um when the the compliance aids are are put 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 together in pharmacies. Uh, that I would that seems to me to be the the prevailing view. Although some people are um uh, some people say it's a bit more complicated, a bit more nuanced, and that actually it's a very popular service for many patients it's, it's a service that many patients rely upon and that if ph- pharmacists pharmacies uh on mass were to withdraw it it could um it could be could be disruptive in, in the short term anyway um and it's it does seem to be the case that that boots is the only large multiple um well say, say out of the big three boots well boots well pharmacy and lloyd's Boots seems to be the only one that that's made this decision just just so far yeah thanks
0: arthur lover boots melange um pay rise always good news isn't it um yeah interesting one wasn't it about the the decision by boots to to stop supplying monitored dosage systems sorry multi-compartment compliance aids as i think we're supposed to call them now um Well, yeah, you're right, Arthur. These compliance aids have long been uh, controversial, unfunded, of course, um, and with real question marks over their safety and suitability from a dispensing perspective, even though, as you suggest, I think many patients and and care home staff have uh, have come to rely on them and find them um, um, really helpful. Uh, There is an irony here, of course, in that it it was Boots uh, that really – Pushed these, uh, these compliance aids in the in the nineties, and the early two thousands, in a bid to grab the, the bulk of the care home prescription business. So yeah, uh, definitely an irony here, but nuanced arguments, I think, either way about this. Um, what what did you make of all this this Boots news, Neil?
2: Yes, it's it's, it's, it's good news about the pay, uh, the pay increase at Boots. Um, you know, I think we'd all welcome that, but um, it just occurred to, well, it occurred to me. Uh, perhaps a question, maybe uh, Arthur or yourself, Richard might have an answer. How stable is this agreement? Um, I know the PDA have worked very hard to, to, to make progress here, but I just wonder how, how secure this agreement is, given the fact that Boots may change ownership uh, uh, within a matter of weeks or months, or however long. I mean, you know, new owners might want to um, look at this, uh, um, you know, salary salary agreement once again.
1: I would say um, that's a that's a good question. I would say. Um, changes beyond even bigger than new ownership would have to take place for the agreement to come into question, because it's uh, it's the PDA is recognised by a, by a government body, isn't it? And I mean, I don't think it's for a new for a you know a, pri- a private equity firm to, to come in and say we're going to de recognise the union would be my understanding. Though it's it's a good question.
0: Yeah, I, I I think you're right, Arthur. I think there's a there's a terms and conditions thing that they, a new owner would probably would have to honor, I guess, um, and keep recognizing uh, the PDA. But it, yeah, it's a good question. I guess it it brings into into question the kind of some of the the broader implications of a of a new owner coming coming into Boots. But of course, when 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 that will be, well, you know, who knows? It could be weeks. It could be still months. We don't know. Uh, We keep an eye out for that. All right then,
2: Neil, um, you're on the roll. Who's had a good week or a bad week for you? We've heard quite a bit in recent weeks about uh, the rise in pharmacies rents, particularly from the perspective of uh, health centre landlords, where a pharmacy is co-located with a GP surgery or GP practice. Um, Now, the National Pharmacy Association has reported recently that some of its members were facing massive rent hikes from health centre landlords. And one name that keeps cropping up time and again is the NHS Property, Service, NHS Property Services, which, of course, manages NHS properties in England. Um, now, the NPA didn't provide t- too much in the way of detail um, when, it, when it was releasing the news about its, uh, the experiences of its members, i.e. how many members were suffering hikes, how much were its increasing by. We didn't get too much information. But however, um, just a few days ago, we were sent a letter by a chap called Gurdiv Chana and he's the director of Leville Limited, which, which trades as Britannia Pharmacy, and they're based in East London and Essex, and they've got 31 branches, and he did go into quite a lot of detail about what, what was going on. Now, he said that one of his branches, which is co-located with a GP practice inside Loxford Polyclinic in Ilford, um, their rent will go from just over 25000 a year to 80000 a year. Now, that's a rent increase of 220%. Pretty staggering. Um, now, what was interesting was the reason why NHS property services are, are, have raised or are about to raise the rent to that extent. Now, he said that they are, they're using outdated uh, guidance to work out rents, and it just doesn't take into account the financial impact of the electronic prescription service, which, uh, which Gurdjieff claims has reduced the number of patients coming into co located pharmacies. So, obviously, income will be down simply because of that. And he claims that the NHS uh, property services is basing its new guidance on simply outdated an outdated mechanism this this was he claims it was issued by the royal institute of uh, chartered surveyors in 2010 when of course eps was just just really beginning um now the concern here is obviously that pharmacies all over the country already struggling to make ends meet largely because of underfunding i think an npa commissioned ernst and young report put that at 470 million pounds a year but with all the other cost pressures that pharmacies are facing you know these huge rent increases could could send pharmacies to the wall and i think that was the point that, that gerdervs was making when he said um that and this is what he told us he said that uh, new guidance was needed to safeguard the provision of pharmacy services in local communities and this is what he said he said it's unfair that co-located pharmacy pharmacy owners should be subjected to huge rent, rental uplifts which will make their pharmacies unviable this matter needs addressing in the very near future i, I probably go a bit further than that, I'll take these addressing now. Uh, it, it's its staggering. Um, I don't know how these pharmacies are going to be able to cope with these um, these uh, huge uh, increases. Um, uh, Gurdiv said that his company, Britannia, did put detailed representations to NHS Property Services Surveyor, but they were ignored. So we contacted NHS Services uh, NHS Property Services to ask them about these huge rent rises. And they did say, they did assure us that they were willing to work with their pharmacy customers to ensure communities are able to access pharmacy services and that the value and that value for NHS uh, for the NHS continues to be obtained and protected. And Martin Steele, its chief executive, said that we will engage with individual pharmacy operators to explore options and assist with these lease terms where there are potential financial difficulties. And that all sounds very reassuring, but whether or not... This actually happens on uh, is another matter. We certainly hope that they 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 are true to their word. Now, Gerda, uh said that he's a member of the NPA and AIM. And we know that both of these bodies are looking and, and campaigning on this issue. But we'd like to hear. I saw I'd like to hear uh, certainly from our readers' perspective, independence. I'd like to hear. Uh, if any of them are facing large rent increases, not necessarily just from NHS property services, but in whatever in whatever situation, so that we can also shine a light on this issue and exert some pressure on some of these landlords. Um, and I'll just finish by saying, you know, in the last week, we were told by the health secretary, Sh- uh, Sajid Javid, that pharmacy will be first on the government's primary care reform agenda, giving the distinct impression that pharmacy has a valued part to play as the NHS moves forward. And yet, bewilderingly, we have a uh, NHS uh, uh, property service is a government-owned company putting the existence of pharmacies in jeopardy so it's utterly bewildering and uh, really does need to be addressed.
0: Great story this Neil a fantastic story it is bewildering uh, isn't it I mean NHS property services and and health centre landlords definitely seem to be the villains of the piece here And, and as you say Neil the the danger is that uh, that rents are, are just becoming unaffordable for pharmacy owners and, and that would have a a, a knock-on effect on, on pharmacy services and indeed NHS property services income, I guess, if, if, if you look at it like that. So yeah, AIM looking closely at this, the NPA looking closely at this as well. Uh, but as Neil said, if there are any uh, pharmacy owners out there who are subject to these massive rent increases let us know we need to to follow this up and um and as you say Neil shine a light on it it's worrying um, a worrying development when the finances are, are so tight in pharmacy anyway all right uh shall I go next we've got what have I got yes bad week bad week for for GP numbers I thought we'd go outside. The sector for mine. Um, I, I read a survey, came out this week from the Royal College of General Practitioners, which estimated that close to 20,000, 20,000 GPs and trainees are set to leave the profession um, over the next five years. So it's not only pharmacy that's facing severe workforce issues. And there are, uh, according to the Royal College of GPs, uh, no, 1,600 fewer GPs in post than there were in 2015 and and that 2019 government pledge, was it um, to increase GP numbers by, I think, 6,000? Well, that seems a a distant pipe dream now, doesn't it? And it got me thinking about how this might impact on the changes that are happening locally with the NHS, statutory uh, ICSs and all of that, because, uh, you know, there could be some cause and effect here. Um, Are the changes at local level in the NHS, being driven to a large extent by the shortages in GPs, rather than a genuine desire to provide responsive, place-based neighbourhood care. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how many primary care pharmacists, mental health practitioners and social care providers you have trying to fill the gaps. Uh, If one of the central pillars of primary care, the GP service, is crumbling, and the same goes for the other pillars of primary care, community pharmacists, dentists and ophthalmologists, then these reforms will fail. And having had a personal experience this week of of an elderly relative who'd been totally let down by the GP service and primary care, fallen through all the cracks, and indeed left on the floor in considerable pain after a fall, waiting for an ambulance for eight hours, we can't afford for these reforms to fail because most people's experience in terms of access to health services is pretty rubbish at the moment. Uh, no easy or quick solutions. There clearly needs to be a, a properly thought out and funded workforce plan. Uh, that much is obvious across primary, secondary and social care. In the meantime, the fear is that things will only get worse as GP numbers decline. That's my bad week. And finally, Rob, on location again, this time in St Albans at the NPA. So let's finish with you. What's your good week or bad week?
3: Yeah. Hi. Thanks, Richard. Um. Yeah. Well, nobody's mentioned it so far, so I guess I'm going to mention it. Um. The good week, bad week. I don't know. Uh, I suppose listeners will have to make their minds up as to whether it's a good week or a bad week. I'm going to talk about the 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 vote and the the result of the vote. So, uh, short numbers. The res- uh, review steering group proposed on the future direction for PSNC and LPCs uh, contractors representing a total of sixty-eight point three percent of pharmacies. In England, voted, which is good. That's the first tick tick in the box. And of those contractors, a total of 6,731 votes were in favour of the proposals, 88.6%. So good news. Uh, The process is over. Uh, Nearly two and a half plus years after Simon Dukes kicked the whole thing Mm -hmm. off, uh, we have a direction for the future of pharmacy representation. It's not what everybody wants, um, but at least uh, we're not going to have further... Uh, roundabouts of the same old stuff being discussed Um, and we don't need to talk about the details I think we've talked about that often enough. Um, So interestingly uh, obviously the RSG has uh, has welcomed the results and so has the PSNC. Uh, So that's all good, Uh, debate over, let's move forward. Um, Now the other bit that I think is worth reflecting on is there's one or two interesting things in the PSNC's uh, response to the vote, uh, as well as welcoming it, obviously. Um, Now, one of the interesting things is that, obviously, within the proposals is this idea that there's going to be a considerable amount of money shifted, levy money shifted from LPCs to the PSNC over the next two years, although, interestingly, not this year. Um, So, the odd thing in the PSNC response is that it says uh, Pearson C will not receive any extra portion of levy funds until 23-24, that's next year. Some of the work, such as developing a new vision for the sector and supporting LPCs through the next election cycle, is both critical and urgent. And this will commence immediately. Now, forget the election cycle bit, but such as developing a new vision for the sector. And later on, there's a sort of reiteration of that, which is... um, Uh, support for support for LPCs uh, and that kind of thing Um, developing a collaborative vision work on influencing engagement strategies works to strengthen our negotiating strategy enhance data and evidence we can commission support our case and work strengthen our support for LPCs that's going to start straight away so they're not getting any more resource but this work is urgent and immediate and they're going to start straight away so if it's urgent and immediate why hasn't it started in the last two and a half years? I just find that a little bit weird. And then the other thing that I would pick out of this is that in the um, in the paragraph which talks about the PSNC's resources being constrained, which was something that David Wright in the original review picked up on, I don't think anybody disagreed with that whole analysis that the PSNC uh, could do with a little bit more oomph and would require some funding to be able to do that. But the odd thing is that the, the the example picked in that paragraph, it says building high quality evidence is not easy or cheap. A large scale cost of service inquiry would cost at least half a million quid. um, 1.5 million, half a million pounds. I hope that's not a signal that one of the things the PSNC thinks it ought to do as an immediate priority is launch a half a million pound inquiry into what the cost of the service is i mean not only did the mpa do a bit of that work not so long ago um but that's a huge amount of contractors money to spend on something that we know self-evidently i suspect that uh, you know costs haven't kept pace with where community pharmacies are i think there's a general acceptance of that including dare i say i think on the other side of the table um but do we need to prove that? And where does that lead? I just don't see that being a priority. So I hope that's an example that's just thrown out of there about the the cost of developing high quality evidence, just as an example. Because what I would say right now is the real priorities um, are things like um, deciding how to support um, the very real Conversations that need to take place within integrated care systems. Nine of the integrated care systems are going to get commissioning, full commissioning powers, apparently, on the first of July this year, and all 42 of them will have them on the first of April next year. Um now, you know, who knows where that might lead, but I would have thought some serious thinking needs to go into that. Um and, you know, this whole process has been incredibly divisive, I think, between the PSNC and and leadership at a very local level. So I'm not entirely sure whether it's clear that the the pharmacy, community pharmacy sector as a whole knows, you know where the expertise in some of that actually lies, um, what successful plays might, into that might look like, um, who knows who, in the developing uh, systems, um, and how all that whole um, set of conversations is going to be supported, so that not only is it done well when community pharmacy has an opportunity to get engaged um, or continue the engagement that's already been developed, but that um, the sector as a whole can learn from the great experiences that people have of what works and what doesn't necessarily work, what people are interested in in doing and what people are in, interested in using community pharmacists to develop uh, and taking those conversations a little bit further. So, um, you know, whether that's good news overall or bad news, I'm not so sure, but certainly there's pause for thought in the response to the vote from the PSNC itself as to what it sees as its priorities going forward and how that's going to be resourced.
0: So yes, decisive vote wasn't it, and a powerful mandate for change from independence and multiples alike, albeit the vote just squeaked over the, the turnout threshold. But as you say, Rob, the hard work starts now. <laughs> So our thanks there to Rob, of course, and Arthur and Neil, because that brings us to the end of another week's podcast. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website or from wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, thanks very much for listening.